I'm right and you're wrong. Once you start labeling people, categorizing of humans and ideas, you have desensitized yourself to the humanity of that other human being, to who they really are. And in the marketplace of ideas, these things are complicated, man. We all need to engage with a variety of viewpoints. A genuine multicultural connection with another. I mean, sometimes you don't need to agree or disagree. You just need to sit with it and digest. G'day and welcome back to another episode of Ideas Digest, the live podcast practice where we leave our little cozy echo chamber we live in every day and we explore the challenging ideas that divide us. My name's Conrad and if you're a new friend of the show, welcome. Regular friends, welcome back. Here on Ideas Digest, we're aiming for understanding, not agreement. Easy, Conrad. That's easy. You might be thinking that. Um, I have it on good authority that friends of the show that regularly listen to this podcast, they often say it's not easy. They say some episodes are hard to get through. It's hard to listen to someone for an hour that you disagree with. But I have it on even better authority that if you stick with it, you'll actually learn to enjoy the practice of listening to people you disagree with and having your mind expanded just that just that little bit. So if you're listening to the show, if you're tuning in live, shoot, th- shoot through some questions that I might have missed or that you'd like me to get to. If you're listening in podcast land, the higher quality, better way to listen to this podcast, shoot me a DM. What questions did I miss? What do you wish I had have asked? Reach out to me that way and I'll get better at asking questions. So with that out of the way, let's get started to the starting point, which is always the clickbait, which hopefully misunderstands or misrepresents the idea in some way. This week, the clickbait, I don't know how controversial it is. The clickbait is Islam, love, and what you don't understand. I feel like the clickbait part is the me telling you you don't understand something. You're like, oh, don't tell me that. Uh, and to help me unpack this, new friend of the show, pronunciation, we will find out if I get it correct, Dr. Safi Kaskas. How's my pronunciation gone? Perfect. Pretty good. Pretty good. Welcome welcome to Ideas Digest, Dr. Safi. Thanks for joining Thank me. Thank you. You are currently joining me from America, yes? Fairfax, Virginia. Fairfax, Virginia. Is that is that middle? My, my American no. geography might be off. No, 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 no. Right outside Washington, D.C. I'm 10 minutes from the White House. Oh, okay. Right near Washington, D.C. Okay. All right. Um. Well, if I was to run into you as a, I'm a tourist in, in Washington, D.C., for whatever reason, you're, you're in Washington, D.C., I, I just meet you face to face and we get chatting and I ask you the surface level questions. I'm like, oh, this is the White House. This is a nice little place. Oh, Capitol Hill. Oh, no riots today. That's lovely. And we, if we were just to meet and I asked you, Safi, who are you and what do you do? What would be the introduction that you would give me? Uh... I like to define myself as a servant. I, I like human beings and I like to serve them. I am a retired strategist. I used to own a company called Strategic Edge and I operated it for 40 plus years. And I operated all over the Middle East and in the United States. I probably through my company helped open uh, or helped uh, over a hundred startups uh, and did a lot of work in business consulting. So I'm a basic, basically I'm a business consultant who uh, love God. Therefore 
I had I, I spent a lot of time studying the messages he sent to us, whether through Moses, through Jesus, through Muhammad. And uh, I simply uh, like to bring people together, like to find common ground. And in order to do this, uh, first I did an easy to read, easy to understand translation of the Quran into, into simple English. And then I did another book called The Quran with the References to the Bible. Now I'm going to ask you a question. Do you think I was able to find any references in the Bible, verses with similar meaning to verses in the Quran? I think, I think yes. Actually, some people are surprised that we were able to find over 3,000 verses in the Bible with 3,000 verses of the Quran with similar meaning. We're not talking about similar words. We're talking about the verse will have a similar meaning in both books. So, uh, <laughs> uh -huh. so this, uh, I mean, this, this is amazing. And I think it's worthy of people noting this. And uh, mm -hmm. those who never heard about the book before or like to the subject we're talking about, uh, they can look it up. It's called The Quran with the references to the Bible. Uh, two authors, myself, Safi Kaskas, and the late Dr. David Hungerford. Uh, he and I were like brothers. He's an evangel evangelical. I'm an Orthodox Muslim, and uh, but we both love the Lord and work together uh, on this project. And uh, we were able to publish the book a few years ago. And the book now been uh, translated into several languages. We're self-published. Uh, we didn't do a lot of advertising. It's a word of mouth, but uh, over 10,000 copies are already either sold or donated or whatever. So it, it's been around the world, the book. Almost every congressman here in the United States has it. The Pope has a copy, and uh, many world leaders have copies. Matter of fact, I have a picture with the Pope. If you like to see it later, I'll just uh, <laughs> show yes. it to you. <laughs> that okay. That so, is a, a picture with the Pope. Now, that's Instagram worthy. I don't know why that isn't on your Instagram page. Well, well, I'll tell you what. It, uh, I don't use Instagram that much. It's on my Facebook page. I, I post every day on Facebook, <laughs> and I use my, my, my page as a teaching page. Uh, I have over 15,000 followers and close to 5,000 friends, and I challenge you on my page among my friends, to distinguish who is the Muslim and who is a Christian. Because we use a common language. It's called a language mm. of love. So that language of love unites mm. us. I think you've outlined so well who you are, what you've done for work, what you've done uh, when you've left your formal work. And I, th I think you've made the next segment of this podcast quite difficult for me by emphasizing uh how you identify as a servant and you want to communicate the language of love yes but i forgot the most important part my partner my partner's name is iman kaskas she she's truly my partner we're partner in our journey uh of faith we are partner we were partners at work 
uh, we're partner raising our children. Uh, I like to think uh, of her as my, uh, actually my partner, you know, we're equal partners in this partnership. Mm-hmm. I, I think you've met, you just keep making it more difficult for me to do the very next segment, uh, Safi, that is... <laughs> Um, what, what normally I do is when I meet new people and if we're all honest with ourselves, if we look in the mirror and we meet someone new, if we're honest, we judge, we judge them. Yes. We, we come up with assumptions. Yes. We have stereotypes and Safi, I'm, I'm not above this. I know I might seem like a nice person, but I've just met you and I have some judgments and assumptions that I, that I would like to get off my chest. Could I confess to you? Some yes. of the judgments or assumptions that yes. I might have or some listeners might have. And can yes. you correct them for me, please? Sure. Yes or no. Okay. Yeah. Yes. I like, yeah, you can say yes or no. And then if we can yeah. get to the nuance later, you can say, yes. well, I want to explain a bit further. Because obviously we need to be able to explain things in a bit more nuance. Yes. Um, okay. I, but my first assumption is, okay, you've, you've mentioned you're Muslim. You, you've got yes. to be Arabic. Uh, no, uh, I learned to be humble. I started being arrogant years ago. And uh, I was arrogant at work because I was very successful. I was arrogant uh, with my faith because I felt under attack and I felt the best way to defend myself is to show superiority. Then I discovered that all this is nonsense. If uh, if if I want to show the best I have in my faith, it's best to it's best to humble myself and to serve. If you want to be first, you have to be last. Uh, then I learned also from the Quran. See, in in the Quran, Muslims don't have the original sin that some Christian have. We don't believe in the original. The Quran doesn't tell us that. Adam and Eve committed an original sin. But it told us that after God created Adam, he asked the angels and Iblis, who's Satan, to bow down to Adam, not to worship him, out of respect for God's creation. They all bowed down except Iblis, except Satan. God asked him, why didn't you bow down when I asked you? He said, because I'm better than he is. You created me from fire and you created him from dirt. You know, we're, uh, uh, we're carbon based. We are carbon based. Jinn are oxygen uh, based. They're, they're alien creature, other creatures that God created. And uh, they're different from us. So that guy considered himself better than us because we are from a lower lower uh, material we're we're from earth and he's from a flame so that was the first example of arrogance that the quran mentioned so if there is an original sin in the quran it's the sin of arrogance that satan committed and led him to be uh, outside the grace of god and he will pay for it on the day of judgment i guess it's probably my australian accent I, I liked your um, defense of arrogance, but I, I actually wasn't calling you arrogant. I was asking if you were Arabic from, uh, Ar <laughs> from the geographical region, but that might be an assumption some people have. 
My next assumption I have for you, you uh, have a DR in front of your name, doctor. So you, you, you've got to then be an out-of-touch academic. Uh, in fact, look, I'm a doctor of business administration. Uh, in business administration, you don't get that degree unless you add something practical of a living business. You, you, PhD in business, it's theoretical. They go and teach. Doctor of business administration has to, to add something practicable to an existing business to show that they can add value. In my case, it was ethics in business. I proved that uh, adding values to a business will increase the bottom line. Without values, a business, nev nev regardless how it tried to whistle out of the rules and regulations, it'll end doing less than it, it's, it, it hopes to, to, to do on the long run. So ethics are very useful wherever you take them, whether practicable business or at home or uh, in, you know, in, in anybody's practical life. Sounds like a no then, because you're saying I'm, I'm, I'm more practical than, than an out-of-touch academic. I'm going to put you down as a no for that one. Um, to, some, to some assumptions some people might have, they might say, okay, Muslim, uh, Safi, you're Muslim, so you have to in some way pose a threat to democracy and the West. Uh, yeah, actually, those people, uh, those people are superficial. Uh, basically, look, I live in the United States. I live in the United States for a good reason. Long time, long time ago, during the Kennedy era, uh, all embassies uh, of the United States outside used to have in a consular section a library. The library used to have uh, books, magazines, and I used to go and read. One day in a cartoon uh, magazine, I saw that the United States is a country of neighbors. That stuck in my mind. And uh, I thought to myself, one day I'm going to migrate to the United States because I'd like uh, neighbors, I like uh, people who will look after you, and you look after them, and you cooperate. This is long before I was religious. So, but I, the, the, the word neighbor uh, had an influence on me for some reason. So sure enough, you know, I, uh, I came to the United States and I found that the most important document that we have here is the Constitution. And the Constitution in the United States, uh, if I have to, uh, you have to ask me about the essence of that Constitution, I would say freedom. The essence of the Quran is also freedom. We'll go to we'll go to that if you want in details. When when Muhammad was invited to rule in the city of Yathrib, when he was in persecuted in his original town of Mecca and was invited by the people of Yathrib to migrate and rule them, they came to pledge allegiance to him. He said, "On what basis?" They said, "What do you mean?" He said, "I was sent." with a contractual religion. If you want to get married, we write a contract and we have two witnesses. If we want to go in business, we write a contract and we have witnesses. You want me to lead you. I have to give you a contract and you have to agree to that contract. And based on that, you pledge allegiance to me. 
So he gave them what is known now as the Constitution of Medina. The Constitution of Medina has the same freedoms we have in the American Constitution. For instance, uh, that town at that time was 40% Jewish, 45% idol worshippers, and 15% Muslims. Yet all of them in the Constitution are equal. Equal from a civil point of view. It, the Constitution states specifically that the Jews are free to perform their worship without any interference from anybody. So it has freedom of conscience and freedom of religion. By the way, anybody can Google what I'm saying, the Constitution of Medina, or they can write me on Facebook, I'll send them a copy. I'm sure Jefferson saw that Constitution. The values we have in the American Constitution are similar to the Constitution of Medina. The Constitution of Medina, though, as a first uh, social contract uh, was uh, given over 1,400 years ago. Our Constitution is, is 200 years plus. So, but we all know that Jefferson had a Quran copy. That's the same copy that a new Muslim congressman will put his hand on to swear allegiance to the United States every time they're elected. So no, I am not a threat to democracy. Mm -hmm. I am democracy on two feet. <laughs> that's a very, that's a very good way of putting it. A, a lot of the threads that you've spoken about so far, and how you describe your work, and how you're responding to these assumptions that people generally stereotypically have about Muslims, I see a lot of your connecting dots and and building bridges between you saying, well, this is in the Quran, and let me explain it to you, and it's actually in the Bible as well. But now you're also in that example, connecting almost the the American religion of the Constitution with its demo democratic values, and going, well, you believe in this, and and let me share the values that are that I have from my religion, and and you're connecting all these dots. I suppose my question I have for you, Safi, is why did you end up spending quite a lot of time translating the Quran and connecting these references? To the Bible, I suppose. What was the purpose of undertaking such a massive task? Yes, you know, after 9/11, again, I felt threatened in my existence, in the existence of my grandchildren and my children. And people have various uh, reactions when they are, when they feel threatened. Some will just run, some will freeze, and this I decided to engage the other. So, and I decided that all these people that started by blaming fanatical Muslims, then moved to blame all Muslims, then moved to say their book is what uh, uh, urged them to be terrorists, and then started attacking Prophet Muhammad as the one that originated and taught all Muslims to be terrorists. I had to react to all of that. My reaction was educational. I felt the best way to, re to respond to all of this is to show them, actually, my book, the book I read every day, because they were quoting on the network all kind of stuff and calling it from the Quran, and I didn't recognize it. So my translation of the Quran is a, is a reaction to the chaos 
educational and uh, theological chaos about Islam that was all over the place. Uh, and I thought if I'm interviewed about the Quran, I will insist either they quote the Arabic or they quote my translation. Uh, so this is, this is basically one main reason why I translated the Quran. And then I decided hmm. that uh, if I live among evangelical, the, it, it's, it's only behoove me to try to explain my faith to them and try to understand their faith to the best of my ability. People hate or are afraid of what they don't understand. But when you start understanding the other, you can start seeing them as human beings. So today, I urge everybody that comes with me on Facebook to go and meet their neighbors, to invite them uh, to a meal uh, or to accept their invitation to a meal. Uh, look at them as human beings. And uh, this is the best way to connect mm. and to find common ground. I mean, we, we are all created by the same creator. And we are created with the same uh, format, the same blood, with the same, uh, you know, same thing. It's, it's silly and ridiculous uh, to see each other as enemies when we are created to be friends and neighbors. Can you describe for me that post 9-11 world that you woke up to? The, the towers were destroyed. Were you in, in America at the time? And what changed for you being in America after 9-11? Yes. Well, there is an interesting story there. I will try to tell it as faithfully as possible. Uh, to start with, my wife and my two boys were in the United States. Uh, our house here is not far from George Mason University, where my boys were attending. And my wife was with them uh, around this time of the year. She came to be with them before the uh, uh, college year started. So 9-11 uh, happened, and that, uh, uh, that during the day, I was in Jeddah, in Saudi Arabia, working on a project for a client. And my wife uh, got to me and said, are you watching TV? I said, no, I'm busy. She said, turn the TV on and watch it. I said, what for? She said, just do it. So I turned the TV on, and I saw the first tower being hit was already hit, and a few seconds later, the second tower was hit. Anyway, that, uh, uh, I, I was shocked, actually. I thought that uh, years of my life as a bridge builder uh, were down in a few seconds. Everybody I spoke to about Islam being a religion, a religion of peace probably was thinking this minute that I'm a liar. I misled them to think Islam is a religion of peace. I'm still the same. I still believe it's a religion of peace. But uh, some or few Muslims decided to do whatever they planned to do for whatever reason they wanted to do it uh, that I don't identify with. Anyway, that day, my wife was invited by a group of evangelicals that we know to a prayer circle. And she decided to go and take the boys with her. My children's name is Omar and Yasser. And their names are very indicative of uh, their religion. 
and the fact that they are Arab Americans and they're Muslim Americans. So she decided to take them there to meet some people because she was planning to leave in a few days and go back and join me in Jeddah. So anyway, she went uh, to that uh, to that place and she was well met. Everybody welcomed her and hugged the, the boys and welcomed them. And they sat down and they started praying. They prayed for the president, uh, the attorney general, the secretary of state, everybody. And then someone started praying for Osama bin Laden. My wife was shocked. In her mind, she didn't understand what's going on. She realized that these people pray for their enemies. And that was really a new experience, a shocking experience. On her way back, she came back on Highway 66. The highway was totally empty. And she called me from the highway. She said, Safi, you will not believe what just happened. I said, what happened? She said, these people pray for their enemies. They were praying for Osama bin Laden. That day, I, uh, uh, I reflected a lot on that day and what she told me. I decided that Christians in the United States are two groups, basically. One group was asking uh, for revenge. The other group was praying for their enemies. And I decided to befriend and be with those who were praying for their enemies. I discovered later on that this group called themselves Jesus followers. Because they called themselves Jesus followers, they focus on Jesus' teachings, not on Christianity and its doctrines, but specifically on Jesus' teachings. And we've been friends since then. And uh, I consider them my brothers, and they consider me their brother. So this is how 9-11 taught me a lesson. And out of that lesson, I decided uh, the more I know about Jesus, the better for me as a person, as a human being. Mm. So in addition to studying the Quran, I started studying Jesus' principles and Jesus' teachings and discovered that there is no difference between what Jesus taught and what the Quran teach. And uh, people are welcome mm. to either discuss that with me now on Facebook, later on through email, and I am absolutely ready to answer whatever question that comes to their mind. Because what I'm saying in my mind is very important. And I like everybody to take to go down that road. The more you learn about Muslims from their book, and the more you learn about Jesus from a let, red letter Bible, the better human being we can be. You're, you're pulling forth the... I suppose what happens when we begin to understand a perspective that we are otherwise unfamiliar with, and that seems to be central to your work, to bring the Quran and Islam and trying to understand it in, in probably a, a pretty ignorant world of what the Quran would say, what uh, the majority of Muslims would believe. Why, why do you think it's important for people to stop and go and perhaps listen to what you're saying and listen to these connect these connections between uh, the Quran and the Bible. Like why why is the connection between those two books important for you? Because Christians and Muslims are the majority of human beings who live on planet Earth. 
uh, in the Quran, God called me a vice regent on this planet, call each one of us a vice regent on this planet. In order for us to build peace and take care of our world, we need to work together. We cannot work together if, if we are uh, uh, egotistical, if we are Islamophobic or Islamocentric. We need to work together only if we learn to love each other. So it's very important for me, for my uh, world of peace to be built and to thrive. It's for Muslims to know more about Christians and for Christians to know more about Muslims. And uh, this is the mission that I've been uh, pushing for on Facebook for over 13 years now. And uh, there are a lot of people that I've met that uh, didn't know that they are Muslims who would love their neighbors uh, as part of their religion. For instance, there is a friend that you know, Brad Jerzak. Uh, one day he heard me writing down that our friendship, he and I, friendship, is an act of worship. So he asked me for an interview to explain how can our friendship be an act of worship. I said, when the whole world hate each other, when half the world hate the other half, for you and I to build a bridge and to cross toward each other is bringing peace. And God's purpose for us on planet Earth is to live together in peace. So loving each other and calling our, our, each other brothers uh, is an act of worship because the purpose of all prayers is to be, become closer to each other and then closer to God. We're doing it. We're practicing it. And it's not good enough for me that we say a prayer. It's more important for me to live that prayer, to be the prayer that we are praying. So if we want to change the world, we need to be that change we're talking about. The Islam you're describing, for, for many friends and listeners of the show, might might be thinking, this this doesn't sound like the Islam I've I've heard about. You're, you're, you're pulling, you're talking about love, peace, understanding, connection, being at the heart of Islam, and then connecting that to Christianity. A lot of Christian friends of the show will be going, oh, well, that's exactly what I believe. I believe God is love. I believe that, you know, God is in community. I believe that, you know, we should strive for peace and to love our enemies. And so the picture of Islam you're, you're painting isn't really threatening at all. It isn't really scary at all. And, and if anything, it's, it's, it's quite hopeful and puts forward a sense of connection between everybody. Why is it that this picture of Islam that you paint, why is it that this doesn't seem to be the mainline understanding of Islam today, at least in America and maybe Australia? Very good question. Very good question. Conrad, for, for my Islam to be the Islam of the majority, the majority need to spend as many years as I spend studying the Quran and to spend years getting to know their Christian neighbors. If you don't know your Christian neighbors, if you don't know the teachings of, uh, of Jesus, and you don't know in details the teachings of the Quran, how can you be a Muslim talking about what I'm talking about? It's my journey, it's my experience that led to where I am today. This is why I try to show other Muslims a shortcut by showing them what the Quran says day in, day out, 
about loving your neighbor, about loving your enemy, let alone loving your neighbor, about loving your enemy. I, I, I need to reason with you something because I heard you asking other people that you interviewed, you say Islam is this, but other people say Islam is something else. Why should I take your word and not theirs? Well, simple reason. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll give you the answer. Simple reason. The sources of Islam, first of all, is the Quran, which I believe is the word of God, the actual word of God, revealed through the Holy Spirit, Archangel Gabriel, to Prophet Muhammad and recorded. Prophet Muhammad, when he started receiving these revelations, thought that he had to rush and try to learn them. In another verse of the Quran, it, God tells him, don't rush. Don't try to strive to learn what I'm revealing to you. I will keep it and make sure it is preserved. So it's not your, it's your job is just to let people know what I'm revealing to you. I'll make sure you deliver it properly and I'll make sure it's preserved. So when I want to know Islam, I don't go to stories. I don't go to uh, hereditary explanation of the Quran. I go to the Quran itself. The Quran itself is not made for the Pope to, to, to translate it for me or for uh, an imam somewhere in, in the world uh, to try to tell me what it means. It's made so I can personally understand it. As a matter of fact, when I started translating the Quran, I had to read it in Arabic, understand every word in it, and then try to, uh, to, to find an equivalent to every word in English that will carry the meaning. I did not do a translation word for word. I did a translation of what Allah, what God is trying to tell me through these revelations. So when you spend 15, 20 years studying a book, you would think, you would hope that by now you understand the message. This is why I told you, and this is, Muslims never talk about this. They never, they never talked about, well, what's the essence? What's the essence of the Quran? I, I never read it anywhere or heard it anywhere. But two months after I finished the translation, I had to ask myself, what is God trying to tell me through this book? What's, what's the essence of the book? I decided it is freedom because the whole message can be uh, reduced into few words. I, I put you on earth and I want you to come to me with your free will. I gave you a free will and I want, to, I want you to come to me with your free will. If you choose me freely, then you'll spend eternity with me. If you reject me, you'll spend eternity away from me. And the first is heaven and the second is hell. So, yes, I spend years studying the Quran and I use my knowledge to base everything I'm saying on. By the way, I, I'll be delighted to read the verses that will indicate what I'm saying. I have them. They're right here in front of me. If you, if you like to hear the verses, I'll be glad to read them. Otherwise, people can look them up. I'm not talking about a secret. The, the conversations see, about Islam and the West and different geopolitical problems in different regions, it, it, it always seems to come down to what people divide between culture 
and religion. And it, yes. it seems to be some commentators and even friends of the show that I've had on, they seem to go, no, Islam is the central connective tissue with these geopolitical wars and troubles and, and, and um, upheavals in those parts of the world, like um, in the Middle East. And so I said, and then other people, perhaps like yourself, might point to, well, it's actually culture and it's a more complex set of geopolitical reasons as to why this happens. And Islam is just a tool that's picked up by people with other agendas and they wield it in, in certain ways. I suppose for, for you, with the Islam you're describing, my question is, how, how did you get to the Islam you're describing? You're talking about years of study, lots of like academia and and. Uh, entrenching yourself in the original understanding of it. And you've come to this understanding of Islam that you have today. And 9-11. And 9-11. Study aside, what do you think leads you to this picture of Islam and leads other versions of Islam, like the difference between Islam in Saudi Arabia and Islam of Al-Qaeda, what led you to the Islam you're talking about, because they're obviously very different, but we don't, we don't, we, I think we're pretty ignorant and we just use the one word to describe the monolith that we don't understand called Islam. This is really simple because you're asking me about something that I went through, I lived through. At one time, I used to think like uh, those people of Al-Qaeda. I'll tell you why. You have to bear with me because uh, you're asking me about my life and I have to go through it. Actually, I have, when I was a child, I was born in 1944. Israel was born in, in 1948. And Israel is next door to Lebanon. Um, I was born in Beirut, Lebanon, and I spent my youth over there. I moved to the United States in 1969. So during these years, I was growing up in Lebanon. I was amazed that some people came from Europe, claimed that land, that my neighbors now are refugees and living next door to me here in Beirut because they were kicked out of their homes over there. So that was a shock to me. I'm not opposed to Jews coming from Europe and sharing land with me. I'm opposed to Zionism coming from Europe to Palestine and kicking Palestinians out of their home because they claim they, they're in their ancestors' homes. We want to share the land. We don't want to uh, be kicked out of it. Uh, so anyway, I had that wound, wound in my heart. It's a wound because I was looking at those refugees who had to leave their homes and come and live in tents for years. I knew some of their children. They're like me, my age. Yet they were living in a tent and suffering and used to tell me about their memories, where they came from, Yaffa and Haifa, and all these beautiful cities that we used to hear about from our parents. And I, I, they were kicked out for no faults of theirs. You know? So that was the first wound. The second wound uh, was in 1967. At that time, all the Arabs uh, were thinking that one day we'll win a war against Israel and we'll take that land that is ours back. 
1967, all the Arab armies were defeated and devastated in the Six-Day War. That was not only a wound, it was much more than that. It was, I was psychologically uh, devastated with that. Uh, I still feel the hurt until today. Anyway, uh, I, in my mind at that time, I was already reading what the Bible teaches. I wanted to know. The Quran says that God gave that land to the Jews. The Quran says that. But it doesn't say they need to come and kick the original people out to take it away from them. I thought religious people will deal equitably with their neighbors because Jesus taught us to love our neighbors. So why, why aren't they loving their neighbors? Why are they kicking their neighbors out? You know, that puzzle had to, I, I, have, I had to find answers for this. So that helped me study a little bit more and have conversations with people I meet that are from Israel and ask them about their motivations and ask them about their parents' experience. Uh, so anyway, all this work together to form who I am today. But the last blow was the 9-11. I did not think that those guys were capable or able to do this on their own. Yet, with their action, uh, they, uh, they hurt all Muslims all over the world. And I am opposed to anybody doing anything and say, Islam tell, told me to do so. Because uh, you alone doesn't, don't represent Islam. Uh, not even the whole Qaeda represent Islam. Not even ISIS represent Islam. Saudi Arabia doesn't represent Islam. Egypt doesn't represent Islam. They are Islamic practices. They're Muslim majority countries. We all strive to understand Islam based on either the culture we learned when we were growing up or its original, uh, its original uh, books uh, that we can study. I'm, I'm not saying what I do is Islam. It's my experience, my journey with Islam. So this journey with Islam, uh, because of my experiences, led me to face those challenges I faced with love rather than with, with force, rather than with aggression. I, I am absolutely sure today that all wars are evil. All wars are evil. And I think there, if, if we American Muslims today can uh, theoretically come out and lobby for peace that is progressive peace, that is productive peace, that, that is more profitable than war, then we can change United States from this continuous cycle of wars that it, it, uh, it, uh, it was involved in since World War II until today into a, a country that represents uh, a leader uh, of peace. If President Bush, after 9-11, instead of attacking Iraq, if he had said, I forgive my enemies because Jesus forgave his enemies, he would have changed the history of the world. Instead, 
he claimed to be a Christian, yet he went looking for revenge. You know, we need a leader who will imitate, follow what Jesus taught, and then we will see a difference. Or one who will, who's ready to at least love his neighbors and forgive his enemies. It seems like some of the things you're talking about as you describe your journey to coming to this understanding of the Quran and this picture of God that you're saying the Quran has painted for you. It sounds like one of the central themes is your continuous connection with the other, your continuous connection with, quote-unquote, the enemy. You spoke about, I was going to speak to my Jewish friends. And you're also talking about the wounds that were suffered from very complicated, difficult, geopolitical traumas that have happened you know jewish people displaced then coming back and then in order to find a new home they then kick other people out and then those other people who've been there for years they they seem to be on the back end of some kind of injustice and it seems like the wounds that that people hold that you held seems to be the lens through which we read something like the quran or as you say, like the Bible, you point out the fact that George W. Bush and even Joe Biden this week um, yes. with, the, uh, with the attacks um, on the airport in Kabul, um, he, his specific words were, we will not forgive. And what's interesting is that as you're looking at the Quran and the Bible, you're coming to saying, well, what does God call us to do on a personal level? And then even probably the most hardest, complicated position ever is to say, can we forgive on a massive nation scale? Yes. Are we a nation that is a Christian nation or a, or a Muslim nation? But it sounds like the real driving force of whether, of what quote unquote Islam or what quote unquote Christianity is seems to be what we do with the traumas we suffer. So it sounds like yes. there's so much religious identity in when it comes to Lebanon and Israel, it's well they're Jews, we're Muslims. So the the wound the Jews um, gave us this wound, and maybe um, the people of Israel might be thinking the same thing, going, "Ah, oh, Muslims gave us this wound." So it seems like the religious um, tensions there, and same with America and nine eleven. Um, some. Muslims, uh, quote unquote, Muslims hit the hit the towers, and so we go. Well, that's a religious thing, and so we we overlay religion over what seems to be you're talking about seems to be these traumas that we inflict on one another, and then we go to these quick labels, and then the religious conversations happen. Whereas you're you seem to be peeling it back to the human experience, and what heals that human experience sounds like the connection with that enemy to dispel the misunderstandings and yes. to see the complexities within it. Well, uh, Conrad, uh, Arnold Twemby, the great historian of the 20th century, said, the greater the challenge, the greater the civilization. I faced my own challenges, and I think those challenges made me who I am. I, I have a dialectical relationship with the Quran and one with the Bible and one with myself. I'm always having a conversation with myself, trying to ask myself, where am I today? What did I learn today? How did I implement what I know today? How did I re- relate How did I relate what I know to other people? Is, is today going to count for me? 
when I face my creator on the day of judgment. And uh, by the way, uh, last year, this time I had COVID and I was in Dubai and I was lucky because uh, medical services there are extremely good. And uh, I went to the hospital and even when I was in the hospital, uh, when I was in the ventilator, my wife was filling the gap on Facebook, telling my friends what's going on with me. And when I came out of the ventilator, I was again trying my best to be myself. And I was very thankful that I'm still alive. And I was engaging the nurses, male and female, and the doctors. And uh, my wife uh, was uh, taping all this and putting it on Facebook. What I want to tell you is uh, thousands of people were praying for me to feel well, and they told me they believe that God spared my life because I still have uh, this mission to live for. But what's amazing to me is that an atheist friend told me that God spared my life to continue with this mission. When your atheist friend have that kind of feeling for you, you feel blessed to, to, to no end. So uh, I, I really have this mission and I am convinced that humanity will be better if we spread peace, if we spread love. And I do believe that love is the answer. Uh, whether you read the Quran, mm -hmm. whether you read the Tanakh, or whether you read the, the uh, you know, uh, the gospel, uh, the message is the same. Uh, I don't think uh, the sender, our creator, changed his mind and sent different messages. He always sent the same message in all these books. We just need to see the message with fresh eyes and try to interact with the world we're living in in a positive manner. Negativity will not get you anywhere. You have to engage positively with others. The the picture you paint is is a pretty inclusive one. It's it's one I think a lot of listeners can get on board with and say, yeah, you know what? I think you know there is these common themes of love, peace, um, and acceptance, and connecting with our neighbor. These are things that we should probably strive for, even if you're not religious. These are these are things that I think everybody could agree with and get on board with. But I suppose what about the pushback you might get from the religious side that says that that says Safi like you're you're a universalist now you're saying what everyone's got access to God because I know for a fact Christians would have a problem with that Christians would say well you know we're glad that you know you see some of the things that Jesus says but you know you don't believe Jesus was like the son of God or something so you know you're really less right than us. We, God is actually more here than he is there. Is that a conversation that happens within your Islamic community as well? Are you, do you get that pushback that says, well, you can't say that God's everywhere. Otherwise, why be Muslim? Yeah. As a matter of fact, it's not the pushback that might happen. It's the pushback that's been happening. And I'm used to it. Uh -huh. uh, both Talk Christians, they're, they're Christians who hate what I'm saying, and Muslims who hate what I'm saying. And uh, and there are Christians who love what I'm saying and Muslims who love what I'm saying. Actually, my job is not to convince everybody. My job is to be truthful with myself, truthful with my neighbors and with the world. If I tell you right now anything that I don't believe in, then I'm not truthful. You can call me on that. But 
I try to express myself in the most truthful way possible. The Quran asked me to be truthful, even to be a, to be a witness against myself, even if it's going to hurt me or it's going to hurt my father or my brother. Truth is very important. It, uh, you, cannot, uh, you cannot go through life knowing that uh, you're going to stand in front of your creator one day and be accountable and then cheat. Uh, so I'm as truthful as possible. And they, those who love the message I'm relating to them are very enthusiastic about it. Again, uh, like some friends uh, that are in common between us that you met and others that you can meet on Facebook. And there are those people who believe that uh, uh, what I'm trying to do is uh, very harmful to Christianity and very harmful to Islam. They come from, from both camps. Mm. And in fact, uh, when they want to discuss this with me, if we're discussing it face to face, I have the, the same Quran they have, and I will quote what I think uh, the Quran says and explain it. And most of the time, I am able to change their mind. Uh, I, I mean, I don't think uh, anybody can bring any new ideas as far as what the Quran says to me. Uh, I've been with the Quran for years now. Uh, some Christians mm -hmm. uh, believe that what I'm saying is harmful because uh, their sect of Christianity does not go along, cannot accept what I'm saying. But other Christians accept it. Uh, I just mm -hmm. have to continue to be myself and let other people be themselves. And hopefully uh, the love that I'm talking about will bring them around eventually. I'm, I'm not really idealistic in that sense. I'm not talking about something that I'm not able to practice every day. Uh, when we're driving the car, for instance, my wife and I, she usually drives, and I am sitting next to her piloting, telling her what to do. So <laughs> when <laughs> I, we usually let other people cross first at a crossroad, you know, we don't have to compete with other people and, and show that uh, we are stronger, we are better, we have to go there first. It shows in the small things and it shows in the big things, mm -hmm. huge things uh, that have to do with service to the community, have to do service to the neighbors that we have here in our neighborhood. You have to live the message. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, people will immediately know that you are saying one thing and doing another. You, you have to live the message. Mm -hmm. Some people might listen to what you're saying and say, I love what you're saying. It, sound, it sounds good, but this isn't the Islam that the majority of Muslims believe in. And they might, they might look at you and say, uh, you, you're, you're kind of a progressive or a reformer. H how do you respond to labels like that? How do they well, sit with you? I, uh, to start with, I like to tell them that I'm an Orthodox Muslim. That means I pray five times a day. I get up every morning uh, at uh, four o'clock to 4.30. Uh, today, uh, the first prayer starts at five. I still get up before the time. And I pray uh, every time on time, every prayer on time. This is when it comes to prayer. That, to me, this is uh, something that I have to do, uh, not as a habit. 
because because I don't do it habitually. I do it because it's a set meeting I have with my creator. He, he gives me time and to be with me and for me to talk to him and to tell him about what's bothering me during that day and what I like about the, uh, about the day that he gave me. And we, we engage. I engage him in a conversation and uh, uh, he engages me. So I, every prayer, as far as I'm concerned, is a meeting, personal meeting. So I do it because I love to do it. I love it. Then I do everything else that any Orthodox Muslim will do. But on top of that, I am uh, right now I'm retired from my business. So my life, my whole life is the Quran. Although I published my translation of the Quran a few years ago, I'm still engaged with that translation every day, enhancing it. So you, there might be something you say today that will give me an idea that I need to go back and change in my translation uh, to make the meaning of the Arabic a little bit better. By the way, I want you to know that I spent three years before I started the translation chasing first century manuscripts of the Quran to make sure that what, I'm what I have today is not different from those first century manuscripts. They were in three places that I found them. And I travel to all three places. Today, I personally know of about 12 original manuscripts of the Quran from the first century. From the first century, that means from the time Muhammad was receiving the, the revelations and asking his 13 secretaries to write them. What we have today is the same that they wrote at that time. I made sure this is authentic. Then I started translating. I didn't want to waste my time translating something that I'm not sure is correct. So because I have that original and because I'm working with it every day and because the more knowledge we discover, look, the creator of the universe is the creator of this book, the Quran. If there is precision in the universe, there must be precision in the Quran. And I'm facing that precision every day on daily basis. And I see things in the Quran that cannot be accept from God. Like we created everything from water. I mean, what, what would Muhammad know about creation of things coming from water when he was living in the desert where, with no books around or so ever? And many, many, many other things that I place, that I put on Facebook every day. I am absolutely sure the Quran is, is, is a revelation from God. It's for our enlightenment. And I'm working with it every day. Mm. You, you describe this entering into the Quran in this sense of wrestling with it, learning from it, rediscovering parts of it, and, and this ongoing 20-year or longer journey yes. of, of continued understanding and continued revelation, which I think uh, it's, that's a very, I think, uh, spiritual religious concept that Christian friends of the show could probably relate to as well. They're always saying, you know, you've got, you've got to wrestle with it, enter into it, take it seriously, you know. That might be challenging for some people to hear because they might, they might go, Safi, that's nice. Like, it sounds like a lot of work. It sounds like you've done a lot of good research to come to the understanding of the Quran and the teaching, teachings of Allah um, through the Prophet Muhammad really well. You've 
you've gone to great lengths to get here. But they, but what would you say to someone that goes, it seems like a lot of effort to get to this point yes. where you are at. It seems like yes. if I just yes. pick up the Quran, me, Conrad here in Australia, pick it up, I read it and I go, wow, there's some pretty violent, hectic stuff in here. It's from a long time ago. <sighs> like why bother with it? For someone, someone yes. like me who might go, well, I, I, I'm already got off to a late start. I'm 30 years old and haven't read any of it. It's going to take me a while to gain this understanding that you have. Is there any benefit in it at all for me? Yes, indeed. Actually, uh, my easy-to-read, easy-to-understand translation is designed specifically for those people that don't have time, but they are curious enough to know what the Quran says. Actually, the Quran is not much bigger than the New Testament. You can read it in one day if, if you want to read it quickly. So, and uh, since I have it in easy-to-read, easy-to-understand English, you can take a shot at it. Let's say you'll take a week to read it or two weeks to read it. So what? Or take a month to read it. Take it easy. I don't have, by the way, many footnotes in my translation because I want the Quran to speak for itself. Uh, usually when you see a violent verse, read three verses before and three verses after. This way you will have a contextual understanding and you will put that verse that's violent in its context. And, uh, uh, and usually people understand it. And if they still have a question, uh, there are many places where they can send the, the, the question and I will answer them. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I spend a lot of time with the Quran. And I, um, I spend a lot of time during the day answering questions that people send me about the Quran. Uh, people don't have to do the same research I've done unless they are as interested in a new theology that will bring people together, as I am. They, they, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying what I've done is the maximum that can be done. It's only a beginning. I expect that people who are younger than I am to do the same work I've done and go further with it. Look, if Muslims and evangel evangelicals in this country can get together and, and uh, build strong relationships, There'll be an example to the whole world and a world where people live together in love is much better world than the world we're going through today, where people are killing each other every day, every day. There is nothing on TV that's pleasant anymore. Hmm. You, you turn to the news, it's all killing here and kidnapping there and blowing up people here. And it's, it's too much. This is not why we're on earth. There must be a better reason we are on this planet. And let's don't destroy it. Let's try to build it together. Mm. Uh, I, I, you know, either we live together in love or we can die together in ignorance. I'd rather that we live together in love. Hmm. There, there seems to be, and, and correct me as I'm connecting these dots, uh, there seems to be some level of required knowledge, understanding, and skills in order to pick up a book that is not from this modern era and be able to understand the context. You seem to you seem to be saying 
through your historical understanding and the academic effort you've gone to to understand the context and to translate because you've gone, okay, well, if we're translating from one language to another, this word means a hundred different things in this thing. So I need to understand that. It sounds like it is actually quite difficult for someone to just pick up the book. And some people might even say the same about the Bible saying, some evangelicals pick up the book and they open it up and they go, oh, well, look at this passage here. It means we need to treat women or homosexuals or whatever like this. It says it like there. And then you get people who might be similar to yourself saying, well, actually, in context, historically, this was this, this was that. And the, the understanding is actually kind of like this. So it sounds like as you unpack this, you're saying you can help people get an entry point into roughly the themes of what the Quran is talking about. Yes. But it is actually quite difficult for someone to just pick it up. And and even for me to relay this to my more Christian understanding, even for me to just pick up the Bible with my modern context, with no understanding of the history, religion, culture, or different theologies involved, open it and then understand the meaning of those who wrote it. Is, is that a little bit of what you're saying there? Theoretically, you are correct. But let's take examples. Let's take someone who read the Bible, who is, uh, who is concerned about his relationship with God, and he takes it seriously. And suddenly, I dropped this book called the Quran in his lap. Uh, he never had any exposure to the Quran before. He doesn't know anything about Muslims except that they did 9-11 and disrupted his life. Mm -hmm. And suddenly he has to read a book they consider holy. So he's starting thinking that this book is specifically a, maybe a historic book, maybe a book were, you know, written 1400 years ago, cannot have anything new to offer me. But he will open the first page. I made it specifically simple for him to understand because I have a section before he start reading the actual Quran a section about explaining how did those, ver did those revelation became a book. And I call that section from revelations to a book. I explain what was the first revelation, what were the circumstances around it, how did Muhammad understand it, how his understanding evolved, and the second and the third, and how they were collected and how they became at the end a book. So he's going to start understanding this, that will put that guy who is not a Muslim, who never uh, read anything about Islam and Muslim, but heard about 9-11, that will make him more knowledgeable than, than millions of Muslims who don't know how the revelations became a book. They only see the book, they memorize it in Arabic, mm. they don't understand a word it says, and they only know what the Imam in their neighborhood tell them. So, this is one section. The second section I gave him was a methodology. Remember now, I'm a strategist. I did business plans for years for, for thousands of customers. So I, I put a methodology there. What was my method? What were my assumptions for that book? Was the Arabic language that God revealed the book with the same language the Quraysh people that it was revealed to were speaking? Was it the same language? You will be surprised that I'll tell you the Quranic Arabic is totally different, way above the Arabic that's spoken at that time and today, way above. Mm -hmm. So you need to strive to understand it. Mm -hmm. There is true jihad to understand 
the Arabic of the Quran. You only can understand it after you read the whole thing and get it, get the message in its totality. And then you'll start going back to various verses and try to decipher them and understand what they're saying. So when you see the same word in a verse here and in 10 other verses, 10 chapters later, then you will understand what it says. Then I have a glossary of terms that will tell you what every word that you never heard before means, uh, where it is in the Bible, how it compares to other to other words that uh, that, mm. that you usually use. All this is to make it easy for you to understand. So I didn't push somebody to the water and say, learn to swim. No, I gave them I gave them floaters first. I gave them I helped them so they can swim at the end. Mm-hmm. So I've been through all of this. I've been talking to thousands of people throughout my life. I know what it takes to make it simple. No, not simple, simpler for someone to be able to take the Quran, read it and understand it. And mm-hmm. it will help Muslims more than it helps anybody else, by the way. My Quran translation mm-hmm. uh, in Pakistan, in India, in Bangladesh, in Indonesia, in China, it, it's more helpful for Muslims there than it is for non-Muslims. By the way, I, I failed to tell you before that I never try to convert people. It's not, it's not what I do for a living. Mm. I try to live mm. the message I'm trying to give to people and it's up to them to do with it whatever they want. Mm-hmm. You, you're talking about this and I think you've really highlighted what might categorize something as a spiritual text because you've, you've described your relationship to the text, how you enter into it, wrestle with it, not saying you have all the 100% translation correct, but always refining it and discovering new things. And, and, and it's a continual, I suppose, revelation. And many people would, would say the same about the Bible saying, well, it used to mean this to me and now it's changed to this and this life experience exposed this understanding. And it's this ongoing interaction that you have to enter into. And I think you've unpacked that quite well, but you've also pointed out the, the requirement to, to approach a text like this is actually... I think that's what might put it into the spiritual quote unquote category, because if I approach a book, just any secular book, a history book, I'm going to pick it up and say, you're going to tell me the history of this country, or you're going to, I pick up a science textbook. You're going to explain to me the origins of the universe. And you can tell me the, the science behind what happened, but you're describing this book that you pick up and we pick up every book with an implicit set of assumptions. And so it, it's interesting. You've unpacked how you, begin the book at the assumptions point. It actually ties in quite well with what I didn't quite realize what I do on this podcast. When I confess my assumptions to you, I'm actually confessing my starting point. I'm actually saying, here is where I'm beginning. And then when you're taking, saying, okay, you want to approach the Quran? Well, let's admit that you're an Australian. You watch 9-11. You've seen the pop media say Islam is a violent, this type of religion that, that only exists to oppress and it's at the heart of all terrorism. And I go, okay, well, these are the, these are the stories I've been fed. And so you're saying, okay, well, let's admit that starting point and let me reposition you and reorient you to then have a, perhaps a better starting point to then go on to read it. Does that sound like roughly what, what you do there? Yes, absolutely. And let's add to this that 
what I'm what what I'm trying to do with the translation. Look, the translation always is the understanding of the translator to the text. So when the text uh-huh. is supposed to be the word of God, that makes it a whole lot more harder to understand and to say this is what it means. This is what I understand it to mean. I cannot say really what God meant to say. I can say what I understood him to say. So what I'm doing a translation, it's not a translation of the Quran. It's a translation of the meaning of the Quran. It's my understanding of the meaning of the Quran that I put in an English language. So uh, this is why it took me six years, actual six years, full time to do the translation. I could have done it in one year. But every time I translated a few verses, I prayed the rest of the day that they are relating the the real meaning that God meant, you know, and that took time. Mm. And if I felt this is not what he's meaning, I just don't do it. Another assumption I made, Mm. uh, it's something that if it doesn't make sense to me, I'm not going to translate it. I'll just wait until... I understand it before I put it down. It has to be logical. If it's not common sense, it's not Quran, it's not Islam. So it took me time. Hmm. That took time. And then at the end, I have a book that I'm happy with, but I'm still working on it. It's a never-ending job. Hmm. It's a never-ending job as far as I'm concerned. I feel like you really exposed to me the, the different approaches to religion, spiritual texts, even politics in general. Yes. You keep discussing it from the lens that you're coming from, the implicit assumptions that you have, your journey, you wrestling with it, you saying, I think this is what God means in this communication. I, and, and here's me doing my best to translate it. And I think yes. the difference comes across with some people who might fit the fundamentalist category or quote unquote the conservative category if we're to box and label people. The conversations I have with some of those friends of the show, they seem to, rather than saying, well, here's where I'm coming from, here's my assumptions, and here's my my best go at doing this, they would say things more along the lines of, this is what God meant, this <laughs> is what the Quran, or, or this is what the Bible says. And it seems like that exclusion of the filter through which we see, which is us, seems to be what makes someone more quote-unquote fundamentalist about something and um and i suppose less quote-unquote progressive if that if that's if that's the categories we're placing people into it sounds like it sounds like you don't sound very fundamentalist with your approach i'm not because i question (laughs) everything i uh, uh some some people say what do you mean by that i said i encourage my children my grandchildren to have critical thinking. If my grandson comes to me and say, uh, we learned today in school that there is one God. And if you expect me to celebrate that and accept it without questioning him, you're mistaken. You don't know me. I will say, okay, let's see what led you to, to, to believe that there is one God. Although I believe that I want him to have, to believe that there is one God, but, it, I will not accept that he, he will take it face value. I want him to question it. I want him to uh, e- examine his thoughts, 
to learn to question everything that he's exposed to. This way he would learn later on not to be fooled, not to be, uh, not to just follow, but to be a leader in his in his thoughts and to be able to uh, have a sound logic behind it. Mm-hmm. If someone was to come up to you, let's say an atheist friend of the show, and they'd say, Safi, what am I missing? What does the Prophet Muhammad teach or what does the Quran teach that I'm missing out on at the moment? Okay. Uh, he's an atheist. The one asking me the question is an atheist. Yeah, let's say. Then the first thing I will ask him is, yeah. tell me, tell me which God you're rejecting. So I will tell you about my God from the Quran. He's an atheist. That means he's re- rejecting God that he experienced. The idea of God that he's rejecting. Tell me which God you're rejecting first so we can start talking and 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 uh, uh, have uh, common ground. Uh, maybe I'll join you mm-hmm. or maybe you will join me. <laughs> now, if you're asking me about uh, uh, Muhammad and what you're missing, uh, simply look, uh, the, the basic message of the Quran is... Uh, for us to use our freedom of choice to accept that God is our creator. Whoever does this is called in the Quran Muslim. Muslim is the one who submit that God is his creator. That's all. That's what Islam by definition from the Quran is. Muslims can add all kind of salt and pepper to it. That's their business. The Quran define a Muslim, one who decide that God is his creator. Become a Muslim. So this is this is the core message. Don't worship idols. Don't worship uh, multiple gods. Worship one God. Uh, he's the creator of the universe and he's your creator. He gave you consciousness. Mm-hmm. He gave you a free will. This way you can under- think, uh, try to uh, uh, comprehend what's around you. And so you can come freely to the decision that he's there too. And you need to know that one day you're going to go back to him and, and either live eternally with him or away from him. This is the basic message in the Quran. And it's based on freedom, freedom of choice. God could have made us all believers if that's what his choice was. But he wants us to come to him freely. That's explicit in the Quran. It's, it's not... Uh, it's not something that we need to discover. It's very explicit. He wants us to come to him freely. And by the way, something that Muslim, a mistake common to all Muslims, uh, God called us in the, in the Quran, worshippers, ibad. Muslims understand ibad and abid to be the same. Abid is slaves. Ibad is worshippers. God never called us in the Quran abid. He called us uh, ibad, worshippers. So every human being is a potential worshiper. So all of us are worshiper in the Quran. Some of us will fulfill the purpose we were created with for, and we will worship. Others will stay outside. They have, they have their whole life to the last minute to, 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 to live up to that. It's a primordial promise that we made to God before he created us and before we came on earth. The first covenant between God and human being, it's in the Quran, 
that that where God brought us all in front of him. He said, am I not your Lord? We said, yes. He said, I'm telling you so you won't say later that you didn't know or you don't remember. So where is uh, this covenant exist? Well, it's in our DNA. It's in our, uh, we call it in Arabic futra, which is our innate nature. But it's basically the program we're created with. It's, we all created with a similar program that give us consciousness and give us freedom to choose and, uh, you know, allow us to function in a certain way. And what about Christians who might say, yep, I, you know, okay, I believe in God. I believe that he is my creator. What am I missing out on? What, what might Islam have that, that maybe me as a Christian might be missing? Uh, well, let Pauline Christianity, because Christians are not all the same. Pauline Christianity teaches salvation through the in the through the incarnation and the ransom uh, uh, pauline christianity teaches that we are all we had a fall we have a fallen nature uh, because of this fallen nature we are all sinners and we cannot reconcile back to god uh, on our own so god had because he loves us had to send his only begotten son to die for our sins so we can be reconciled with the Father again. Well, Islam has a, a much easier narrative to understand. We are created perfect. Part of our perfection is that we have a choice. We can choose the right thing or the wrong thing. What, what Christian calls sin, I don't use the word sin at all. It doesn't mean anything as far as I'm concerned. They're choices, either the right choice or the wrong choice. If I make the wrong choice, because it's part of my perfection to choose good or bad, then then uh, mm. uh, when I choose the, the, the wrong choice, God gave me also that choice to ask for forgiveness. So as long as I'm asking directly for forgiveness from God, I don't need a ransom. So there is a totally, totally mm. different approach to salvation uh, in Islam that's so different from Pauline Christianity. I have a direct relationship with my creator. Five times a day, I, I, I have a meeting with him. I stand in front of him face to face and I bow down to him, showing him that he is worthy of my worship. And I'm dedicating my life to serve him. Uh, I don't need anybody to interfere between the two of us. When I do something wrong, I know to ask for, for forgiveness immediately. Uh, you know, the story in the Bible about the Adam and the apple, actually in the Quran, it is God giving Adam that freedom to choose, the program to choose, and training him to show him that you have that freedom. So he said, you can eat from any tree except this. Could be any tree. So Adam thought about it. And with some persuasion from Satan, decided to try it. But the minute he exercised his freedom of choice, he realized he made a mistake and he asked for forgiveness. That's what the Quran says. And God taught him how to ask for forgiveness and forgave him. You know, so then he knew that Adam was ready to come down to earth. 
The second covenant is between Adam and God. If I send you guidance, try to follow it. This is why I, I read all these holy books, because I have a covenant with God that he sends me guidance and I will try to, to read it, to understand it, mm -hmm. to follow it. You know, this is, I mean, mm -hmm. in my mind, uh, it's, it's very straightforward. Mm -hmm. Safi, thanks, thanks for taking so much time to uh, unpack a lot of your work and your approach to it and to paint a picture of the Quran that you engage with, the Quran that you live with uh, and I suppose wrestle with and translate and then share with everybody else in order to, to build bridges. Thanks. Thank you so much for, for taking so Thank much you. time. Thank you, Conrad. I really appreciate it. If people want to follow your work and maybe check out your translation and maybe some of the other work you're doing, where can they, where can they do that? Facebook, Safi Kaskas, Facebook. I have a page. All this information is right there. And it's open for everybody. You don't have to be a friend or anything. You just come and go through it and read uh, whatever I have uh, or comment on anything I say. And if you're listening to the show right now, thanks for those people tuning in and shooting through questions there. If you're listening right now and you've made it to the end of this podcast and you're thinking, oh, gee, I disagree with everything he's just said. I can't believe he said this. I don't, I don't agree with anything, but you made it to the end of this episode. Then congratulations. You are the Spirit of Ideas Digest. Send me a direct message and say, hey, Conrad, mate, I disagree with the whole thing. I made it to the end and I will send you a golden little emoji sticker it's very valuable to show my token of welcome welcome to the very exclusive club of listening to people that or perspectives that maybe you don't disagree maybe you've just never heard it before and you stuck it out the whole way so thanks for tuning in and remember send me any questions you think i missed what do you wish i should have asked and i will catch everyone in the next episode